G'day and kia ora rugby fans, this is That Rugby Podcast, hosted by the Sports Booth. I'm your Kiwi half of this podcast, Luke, who enjoys a full trophy cabinet, running rugby, and whenever the Bledisloe comes around. With me is the Aussie mate, Husey, who loved Eddie Jones and now despises him, is used to being let down and can't actually remember what it's like to see a Bledisloe win. Tune in for 30 minutes of no-nonsense rugby chat, a bit of trans-Tasman banter, and maybe a few laughs, if you're lucky. Get yourself set and engaged as we kick off That Rugby Podcast. Pont, is he just arguably the greatest player in the world now? And the only reason I'm saying that is we've seen now the French 15 side turn into what we can only be described as a disaster, whereas the mm-hmm. French 7 side actually took out bronze in, in Vancouver this morning with DuPont starting to play more and more a role in there. So so the question has to be, was DuPont France? Is France no good without DuPont? Like, we've just witnessed a, a 13-0 draw that realistically should have been a loss if a ball doesn't fall off a tee. Yep. And it's well, if, there, if the rules are followed, if the rules are followed, <laughs> come on to that in it. Come on to that in a minute. But I also want to say I have been a big Dupont advocate for a long time on this podcast. Right? I said uh, last year that he was one of the most important players of the the World Cup. And you know, the question is, does France get as far as they do if Dupont doesn't play in that World Cup? I think you look at this, how this uh, Six Nations is gone for for France, and you could maybe say, well. Maybe not, you know, maybe they, maybe they don't even have a competitive quarterfinal. Maybe they don't make the quarterfinal, you know, it is, uh, I, I feel very vindicated in seeing France from last year compared to this year. And then France and the six nations now of seeing, yes, this is, you know, there's, there's always a question of, of what is the greatest player and what is the most valuable player? You know, I think those are two actually very separate things or, and even what is the most talented player? because there are some players that just transform a team and they might not be the best player in the world. They might not even be the best player on their own team, but they are the most valuable for what they bring to their team. So I think you could very confidently say that DuPont is the most valuable player in the world because he elevates that French squad to a a top four team in the world, to a, to an ultra competitive side that, has the ability to to beat South Africa and New Zealand uh, in, in test matches. Without him, France aren't the same. They're not the same team. Uh, and look, a 13-all draw against Italy, that they're lucky it's a draw. They're lucky it is only uh, 13-13. Uh, I think goes a long way to prove that. And I think Dupont will, will whenever he makes his return to the, the 50-and-a-start game, will be welcomed by his teammates with the most open arms possible. Yeah, uh, I I know I couldn't agree more. And I just go, I was I I was probably less on the train that you were on the Dupont train because I didn't. I just you know I thought the French team were good, and I thought the French team as a team were good. I didn't think it was just Dupont, but. Now what I'm seeing, and I know, yes, there was a red card. I know they had a red card against Ireland. But even against Scotland, they they got lucky against Scotland. They've got lucky again here. I go, mm. they're three games in into a, arguably a Six Nations. I thought they went in as pretty big favourites hosting Ireland at home mm. with the games that they were playing. Um, 
thought that they could get a job done and they just haven't looked like they've looked like a shell of that team that won the World Cup. They've looked like a shell of that team that went on a winning streak and bet the All Blacks, they just don't look that. And I know um, Intermark's out as well. But again, there's some talented players there and it's just not clicking. And I don't know. I, I've always had mm. this question of France. I never thought they were as good as they were. Um, but I didn't think they were this bad. I didn't think they were, you know, succumbing to draws against Italy and and yeah. and um, absolute disaster against the uh, Irish. So, look, there's going to be arguments now with DuPont leads this French team to a gold in, in Paris, which, look, I mean, it, it's a massive task. And it's not only because yeah. you're competing against the like New Zealand teams, Fiji's, the team that Argentina are currently putting out, Argentina have won the last three tournaments, sevens tournaments for the men's. Like, Argentina are the team to beat at the moment on the seven circuit. So I go, it's going to be a tough task for DuPont. It's not out of the realm of his possibility with whatever or whatever he does to escalate his teams or to, to lift his teams up. But, yeah, look, I, I, I just, I just, I'm blown away by what has happened to France since he's left and what, what has happened to the Sevens program since he's gone. Um, but let's get on to kind of the Six Nations. There was a couple other games, but you want to talk a bit more about the Italy and the moment there with the missed penalty, my friend. Yes. Uh, there's been a lot of media put out uh, about this. Uh, and please step in if, if you if you see anything wrong with this here. But I believe the kick at the end of the game, it was a penalty kick. It's a penalty kick. Correct. Now, you're not allowed to rush penalty kicks. As far as I was, as far as I thought, you're not allowed to rush the penalty kicks. Even if the, because we had this moment a few weeks back with Wales and England, you know, um, and the whole kerfuffle about when does the runner start to make his approach. And we clarified the rule on that. But that's just for goal kicks. For penalty kicks... No matter when he starts his run up or anything like that, you can't chase it down. It's a, they must be allowed to take an unobstructed kick. In addition to that, the French had a non-player on the field as well. They had a water boy on the field, which I also believe you're not allowed to do in a penalty. It's not a break in the game. It's a penalty. So, uh, and then there was a, a kerfuffle to do with the shot clock as well about how much time was it taken to do the kick because the ball fell off the tee and, and everything like that. The last one, the clock issue, is a separate one. However, when the ball slipped off the tee, the French players started to run towards the ball. They still had a water boy on the field. For me, you should stop the clock there and restart it again once the ball is on the tee and then uh, and the, the water boy has left the field. You can't be expected. You, you can't take your time, the legal time off the clock for a player to take a kick when the other team is not complying with the rules. That'd be like if a French player was standing in front of the ball over the tee and the referee said, oh, you've got uh, 20 seconds to kick this. It's like, well, no, there's a there's a giant bearded Frenchman in the way. You know, it's <laughs> so for me, I feel Italy were very hard done by there. I think they were very, very hard done by. And I think the referee, this is one of those rare occasions where I would have rather have seen the referee stop proceedings and put their stamp on the game than allow things to continue the way that they were. Yeah, there's a couple of things, and I've, I've seen all the reviews and, and the breakdowns of it. Um, I It's hard. It's a hard point because the shot clock's relatively new. So mm. there was a lot happening in that last minute. The ball comes off the tee. Players don't know what exactly is the rules off that, and I, I totally understand that. Um, 
it is it is a, a front rower who's who's made a couple of steps. I'm not going to hide away from the fact that it's a big lad. So not a lot going on in the old top two inches there. So look, I understand that. To me, and again, this might be a little bit of a controversial take, but when the clock hits 80 minutes, or the penalty kick is going to go into 80 minutes, I don't think there should be a shot clock. Now, the reason I say that is. We lost a really, you know those moments where you sit there and you go, 80 minutes into the game, Italy have won a penalty. Oh my God, this kicks to win the game. The yeah. more time that goes on, the more pressure it is on the kicker in my mind. Like, yeah. I just think those are those moments you want You're not highlighted. wasting any time. No, like, yeah, exactly. Like, the game's over no matter what. Like, so to me, there was that. But again, I understand the counter-argument to that is, if it's happening during the game, why not keep it during the end? I, I I understand it, but I just think when clock hits eighty minutes, that like that kick, that was a moment that should have been held, and we should have been watching our TVs and glued to our televisions. It shouldn't have been the balls come off the tee, he's got ten seconds to get it back on and get a kick away. Um, so that that was my thing on the shot clock for the step forward. I think yeah, look, I understand it. Again, I think the ref will go back and go look in the end the wrong decision. I don't think. The French were inadvertently trying to cheat the game. Like they, they were only stepping forward because the balls come off the tee, which I yeah. again isn't is, is a, not a part of the rules. But there's been, like you've said, there's been so much like this previously that there, there's a lot going on with rugby around those rules. Where I, I'm not, I'm, I don't think French were trying to cheat the system here. Yeah, I, but, I agree with that. I don't think it was malicious by the yeah. French. I think it was unintentional but that's why you have the referee there totally. to to fill in those gaps in player knowledge as well and to, to adjudicate it correctly like, i don't think the french were saying oh we'll just rush it anyway you know we're not allowed to do it you're right it was a big big boy you know um <laughs> it's a they they don't they don't often come into contact with kicking situations right so i think it's uh i don't think it was malicious by the french so yeah. i don't I don't lay the blame with the French for this. With the water boy part of it, I feel like that's something that the coaches should know about when they can and can't send water and training personnel onto the field. And again, that's another one where the referee should have stepped in all the touchies and said, hey, that's not allowed. Again, though, I don't think it was the French being malicious, right? I don't yeah. think it was them being like, um, we've got to get an advantage here any way we can. I think it was, you know, it's at the end of an 80-minute game. It's tied up, you know, you're just trying to get your players some hydration because who knows what happens off the kick. Uh, so I don't think it was malicious. I think it was just they just didn't know the rules, but and then the referee didn't do their job by adjudicating it, by putting their authority on the game in a moment where they should have. It's one of the one of the few moments that we've seen where we actually are, we want to hear the referee's voice in this situation. Yeah, and it, it, it took me back to uh, an All Blacks versus Ireland game not too long ago, 2013, I believe it was, where the All Blacks got a re-kick after Aaron Cruden do, does this little thing where he does steps on like, on the spot before he goal kicks. Mm. So the Irish charged early, he missed the goal kick, and then got the chance to retake the goal kick. And as controversial as that is, it was the right decision because they charged early. Um, and this is another moment where, as controversial as it may have been, it's the right decision. If we look back at the Melbourne Cricket Ground with Wallabies versus New Zealand, you know, time-wasting, 
call on that. As much as it's a controversial decision, it's a correct decision, um, and this would have been exactly the same in my opinion, where mm. we would have sat there and there would have been a lot of discussion over it, and it was a big call for a ref to make, but it, it is the right call. Um, but again, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not on the ref too much because... Again, there's a lot that's happening. There's a lot, you know, like, as you've said, the rest, of, the rest of human too. It's an 80 minute game. I don't think he was not trying. Like I think he was so focused on letting the kicker know. Again, it came to the shot clock. Hey, you've only got 10 seconds left. You've got to get a kick off. Then he was yeah. focused on the French team. So look, there was uh, so many parts to play in in that. That yes, Italy deserved the second kick, but also I I think there's more to the game there where we can discuss about hey. When it gets to the eighty minute mark, let them take as long yeah. as they want. Like it's a it's a goal kick to win the game. It shouldn't be down to a time thing now. But yeah, yeah. And let's and let's also highlight because we've been uh, critical of Italy and the Six Nations and you know how they've performed. Um, and it's, and in a week where there were actual questions in the media about does Italy belong in the Six Nations, and Ange Capuozzo was actually in the media saying, you know, there were years where some of these other teams in the Six Nations were absolute horseshit for decades as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just building, you've got to give us a chance. I think it's a really strong performance to Italy to come out there and and show up and really um, make a statement. I think there's a statement game from, from Italy, you know, and I think that this is... Uh, you know, two. You know, think about this. Italy could be two and one in the Six Nations right now. Lost by three points to England and tied with France. Right. So they, they've got to be. They, they they're getting there. And arguably, this should have been a win. It's it's hard though to to you know. It's like in how many of these do they get? I think this is an an impressive win, an impressive draw that should have been a win. But the fact that it's not a win. That's all that's going to be remembered down history. That's, that's all that's going to show up in the record book. That is exactly what my counter argument was. This they French had a red card. When you've got a man advantage for as long as they had, the counter argument has to be you have to win those games. No matter what you do, you win those games. Mm. And the fact that it's come out as a draw again, again they were up against England at halftime, lost that game. I go look, we can we can understand that an Irish are, are beating everybody, so we can we can take that one away. But the, the two chances that they've had. They're blowing. And mm. if they want to be considered good enough, the the thing I, I think about Italy at the moment is you have a Rugby World Cup that was miserable, a hundred, just about a 100-point loss to the All Blacks. You aren't just fighting for your right to stay in the Six Nations. You're fighting for people to sit there and believe you'll still a Tier 1 nation. Because after that yeah. whooping in the World Cup, that's what you're fighting for. And so I sit here and I go, you had a chance to right the wrongs of what a Rugby World Cup was, and both times you've cracked under the pressure. Um, be it, controversially, this last one and against England, it's just, I to me, when are Italy going to start winning those games? Like this, they've never beat France in France in a Six Nations game. This was their opportunity, and, and, and I'm going to say they blew it. Like, as much yeah. as you've got a man advantage, you know, you, you can say, oh, look, they're competitive. France haven't looked good against anyone. This has been a... Look, we can make this argument now. This is a weak front French team. Lucky to beat Scotland. Blown away mm. by Ireland. Um, and again here with Italy. And yes, they're ill-disciplined. So, yeah, look, uh, to me, Italy, they, they've got many opportunities. They've got to take them. But, like, this is it. It's that yeah. point where you go... Well, the under-18s team beat the French under-18s team. So, so there's a new generation. There's an, the next well. generation coming through. Exactly. They're building building well. It's then translating that to success at the top level, which is the which is the real challenge. Definitely, and um, around the grounds, uh, Italy, uh, Ireland, 
the charge continues. They beat Wales. Yeah. They see this is the thing. You look at France in the World Cup, and you look at Ireland at the World Cup. Ireland are still taking the step in the right direction. If you know what I mean, like yeah. Ireland. This is the same Ireland team we've always known. Like someone put it in a comment on our last um, breakdown of the of the first two games that we disrespected Ireland, which we probably did a little because we didn't talk much about them. But I, the reason we're not talking about them is. This is what we expect from Ireland now. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I have standard. I have no doubt now. After they beat France, I said this game's going to come down to that last Scotland game, and it might not even yep. matter with the way they're running through teams and bonus points. I don't see Ireland losing. I just go, this Irish yep. team is built different now. This is this Irish team reminds me a lot of those early 2010s uh, New Zealand teams where they just win games, they dominate you, they play their style, and that's what I'm seeing from this Ireland team. So th- they mm-hmm. did it again against Wales. Wales tackled their hearts out. Again, another Gatlin-like performance, but um, Ireland's roll on on the hunt for a Six Nations yeah. Grand Slam. Exactly. It could be could be another one for them. They're, look, and we, we come to our final game, uh, well, we had Scotland beating England once more in a, in a great game, cracking game. Uh, I think that's going to be Ireland's greatest challenge. Uh, the Six Nations is that is that Scotland game, you know. Um, England, uh, England have been. It's 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 you know they they've won two games, but they've won against Italy and Wales, and they weren't bad against Scotland. But they are coming into now their toughest game. Um, and I just don't think that they're, I, th- I think they're just, this is definitely a transition year for them. This is not a year that they are going to be, uh, you know, a, a top team, a, a, a world beating team. This is where they're, you know, last year was moving on from Eddie and scrambling to, 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 to compete in a world cup. This year is about, okay, what's our plan for the upcoming years? Who are our players that we're going to send on the British and Irish Lions tour, build towards the next World Cup? Totally. Um, and so that's what they're they're that's what they're doing this year. And you know, I think that's I I, I get the, I think that's just what England's just going to have to suffer a little bit through is, you know, moving on from some of their old stalwarts and moving into uh, bringing on some newer younger talent. Yeah, I agree. I think they they again weren't bad against Scotland. They had moments, but they haven't. They're lacking polish at the moment, and I yep. think it's going to take a year or two under Borfoot to find that polish. So, look, I'm not, mm. I'm definitely, I'm, I'm excited for where England rugby is heading. I think they're heading in the right direction yep. under Borfoot. They've just got to find it. For Scotland, I it's going to annoy the fuck out of me because I predicted this tournament to go this way. Um, I said if if France if that try against France was allowed, and Scotland, you know, win again. Uh, against, I think they've got Italy next week, Ireland winning against yeah. England, we were down for the, arguably going to be the biggest game in the Six Nations, could have been the biggest international mm-hmm. game this year, Scotland against Ireland, in Ireland for the Six Nations and a Grand Slam. And now we don't get that. Um, it's yeah. heartbreaking. But Scotland looking good again. Scotland's uh, Duhan Vermeulen is just a beast. Yeah. Um, no, it's not Duhan Vermeulen, it's Duhan van der Merde. Um I knew who you meant. <laughs> yeah, um, scoring a hat trick, three um, tries. Yeah. yeah. So look, Scotland looking good. They need England to help them out now and beat Ireland, which is very unrealistic, very unlikely. But yeah. if they can hold them to a non-bonus point, then it'll come down to some calculations. But I still think Ireland yeah. um, run away 
with this. I think I think England could finish the Six Nations um, three wins, two losses. I think they've got a very realistic chance of beating France. Oh, 100%. Uh, the way France is looking, they might not win another game. I don't know who they've got least. Mm. I think they've got Wales. They've got, and- they got Wales, Wales next. Um, in Wales, I believe. Mm. Yes, Millennium Stadium. And then um, they finish off against England in France. Yeah, so look... France, they've got a couple that's a couple of games for France to right their wrongs and prove us especially wrong. But um, for now, not looking good. But that is our Six Nations Week for your review by the sports booth. The Australian number 10 jersey it was a saga um, that's carried over from 2023 into 2024. New Wallabies coach, nothing is set in terms of the Wallabies squad for this year. Joe Schmidt going to be keeping a very close eye on the Super Rugby, which kicked off this past week. And a few classy performances from some young number 10s in the Australian Super Rugby te- uh, teams and a few not-so-great performances. Uh, two two that stood out to me were Noah Lolasio coming back in, looking refreshed, revitalised after a stint in France, and Tom Linner for the Queensland Reds, who the Reds, I think safe to say they impressed they definitely impressed me uh in in their game against the waratahs and i didn't think the waratahs actually looked that bad in that game either um with a with a last minute change in their back line and we'll come we'll come on to that in the next segment uh but then we've got our uh remaining tens got ben donaldson who is technically the incumbent 10 for the wallabies who look just didn't didn't the Western force all over seems disjointed, um, which is not to be unexpected with a new nine and a new 10 uh, in their ranks. Uh, Carter Gordon had some moments, but overall looked the same at, as he did at the start of 2023. So it doesn't look like there's been, I would say he hasn't been movement that the dial hasn't moved upwards. Like we would have thought, but again, I feel, I feel really bad for Carter Gordon because every situation he's been thrown in has been just a, pile of shit to be honest you know <laughs> he was thrown into the fire for the wallabies uh under a coach that we're looking at this documentary coming out about the wallabies in the world cup just looks like a uh old man with dementia He's with cattle prods <laughs> and and just all sorts of weird things and it's like this this doesn't look like rugby this looks like a motivational speech now he's with the rebels who are in external administration and are likely not to survive past this season uh, CEO gone, players uncertain about their future. It's like the, the the damage that must be being done to this young man is and his his confidence and thinking where am I going to be playing next year? Who who knows? Um, Tane Edmed for the Waratahs, I think looked all right, but was definitely outclassed by his opposite number. I think he's a pretty middle of the pack kind of guy. We're waiting to see if the dial, you know, like Carter Gordon, we're waiting to see if the dial will tick upwards or not. It's not looking like it. At the moment, so I think the Brumbies and the Reds, their tens are definitely in the driver's seat at the moment for the Wallabies starting ten jersey. And uh, for my mind, I think Noel Olaseo, just because he has previous Wallaby experience, is probably the leading candidate at this stage, in my mind, anyway. Yeah, look, it's it's an interesting group, isn't it? It's a young group, which is. Yeah. To me, is actually really good for Australian rugby because for so long we kind of had that question. And as you mentioned, who is the Wallabies ten? Like, yeah. you know, like I kind of jumped in there for a bit. There was there was kind of movement. You had yeah. Foley, Cooper, all these overseas players. You've got five. I would say international tens. Yeah. 
yeah, playing capable. Super Rugby. They're capable. Capable of playing international rugby. Um, at the moment, playing your Super Rugby teams. Um, I think, obviously, Noel Olesia, like you said, is going to benefit hugely from his time in Toulon. And the Toulage under um, Larkham, just being able to learn from Larkham, huge. Carter Gordon had one of his best seasons last year. Started off the way he was playing for the Wallabies, which is missing goal kicks, missing touch and stuff like that. Needs to get back to his best. But, as I said in my roundup of the of the, the, the week um, for Super Rugby, the Rebels were a fucking mess. Uh, Luna yeah. was, I thought, was really good as well. Like you said, I think benefits from a lot of experience around him. Tate McDermott being his nine is a big mm-hmm. help when you've got a player of that level. Donaldson, like you said, we all know his talent. We've seen it. We've seen him guide the Waratahs to a final series. He's got a job to do now. If he wants to keep himself in that 10 jersey in the Wallabies, mm-hmm. he needs to do a lot more. Like He did not play well on the weekend, I didn't think. Um, and then Ed Med, like you said, uh, this is his first real season uncontested from Donaldson. And he's got an opportunity to put his hand up and take the reins, and there's been a lot of talk in Sydney about him and, and this and that, about how good he actually is. He's got he's to come through. But five really good young teams, which I think is the building block. You need depth. You need mm-hmm. players who are willing to put their hands up. It's not just Noel Olesio now, if you know like you know what. pre Ghetto Law and when you went, you know, it was Cooper and Lolosio, or it was just Lolosio and Foley and, and this and that. Now it's five guys who Lolosio has to go out there and perform every week. He has to perform the way he did yeah. against the Rebels every single week or Lynn will be on his shoulder or, you know, Donaldson has a good game and stuff like this. To me, it's about consistency. So which one of these five can show us that they are the most consistent over these five games? All five mm-hmm. of them arguably have good teams and a solid four-pack around them. I watched both the uh, I watched the Rebels in the Brumbies game. Brumbies four-packs, unreal. Rebels four-packs should be really good, didn't play well. Um, Lynette, the Reds four-packs, monstrous, along with the New South Wales one, which is also not a bad four-pack. And then you've got mm. um, the Force who can dominate in the four-pack, struggle against the, the Canes mightily, but there's some potential there. So I go, they've got enough around them to... Perform. Who's going to be the most consistent and take that ten jersey and make it theirs? It'll be interesting to see how the season plays out. I think just quickly as well. I think Joe Smith will be absolutely loving that Les Kiss is coaching the Queensland mm. Reds because the way they played against you fellas, I was just like, holy shit! Like the amount of points they turned down to go for kicks for corners, and again, I thought Lynn yep. was very good at that and just controlling the game. I just went. Les Kiss, uh, yeah, welcome to Australian rugby. Uh, I think Australian rugby will be a lot better off with Les yep. Kiss coaching there. So, look, I'm going to put you on the spot now. You've said Noah Lolosio is your early 10, but I want to know 10 for the British and Irish Lions and 10 for Rugby World Cup. Now, we're only choosing these five. I know it's harsh yeah. because there could be a youngster coming through now who arguably is going to be better than all of these guys. But yeah, out of these five, what are you looking at? I, uh, you know, Lina has had one game. I think Noah actually had a pretty solid 2023 in retrospect, sort of looking back on it. He was just, I think confidence was more his thing than any, anything else. And I think his stint in Toulon has been, has done really well for him. Um, for me, I'm going, you know, I'm, I, unlike the Rugby World Cup, I think we're going to carry probably more than 110 on our, <laughs> on our roster. So I would say, I would say Noah is the starter for, for both. And Lina at this stage is the, is the backup. I think Carter Gordon 
from just you know we're going off this one game here so it's a one game overreaction <laughs> and so this one game i think carter gordon ha- needs to needs to step i think 2024 Carter Gordon is 2023 Noah Lollasio needs to step up to the plate to earn his spot back in the team. Uh, and I think he'll have an easier time of doing it uh, because the Wallabies coach isn't threatening people with cattle prods this year. I, I also think um, for Carter Gordon, um, and it's not, I think, I, say the Rebels do dissolve, if a year or two overseas wouldn't go amiss for a player like Carter Gordon, a, a year or two mm. in Europe somewhere in France or in England, I think, and then come back. i Waratah's jersey, to be honest. Yeah, yeah well, why, why, well. why travel that far? Yeah. <laughs> but I just, we look at players that have gone overseas from the Wallabies. You, you look at Nick White, you look at Dave Parecchia, the two big standouts. Sometimes it does help. Like, it definitely does help. Will like, Skelton. Will Skelton, again, if, if, if he was to come, like, I'm hoping that the idea is that they come back and they play yeah. in a Super Rugby jersey. But, it's not something where I think if Carter Gordon signed like a two-year deal, could play good rugby, get his confidence up, come back into a Super Rugby jersey, he could he could be a gun. So, look, yep. interesting time for that Wallabies 10 jersey. Super um, Rugby's back, and with that, it's a bit of Australian versus New Zealand battles going on. I yep. just wanted to discuss, look, I was lucky enough to watch every game bar the Blues versus Zura. Um just because that was too early for for, for London time. Yeah. But um, I'm interested. There's a couple of Aussies teams that did stand out, and it's uh, the usual Brumbies, and uh, the Reds really stood out for me. Um, but I looked at – I watched the Hurricanes and Force game, obviously, um, and watched that one very closely because Hurricanes are my team. But I just sat there and I go, watching the Rebels in the Force, and I go, even the Tars, I go, I don't think they're up to scratch with – Mm. New Zealand Super Rugby sides yet again. I, I, I believe the Brumbies, even with their performance, I didn't think it was that good. I think the Brumbies can beat some teams. I don't think on that day they would have beaten teams. I think that's how bad the Rebels were. But I really, the, the team that stood out the most for me were the Reds. I go, yeah. if there's a team that I, and I, funnily enough, the Hurricanes come up against the Reds next, um, if there's a team I fear the most, and I'm glad we're getting them early season, it's the Reds. Because I think under Leskis, what he's going to do with those teams is beat a couple of New Zealand teams and I think really push uh, the Super yeah. Rugby spectrum in a different direction. It's, it is super round this upcoming week, so you get them in a – it's a neutral venue as well. Um, yeah, look, for me, uh, the Reds, I think what was provided to them was some stability, particularly in, um, in, in two of their – key players being Hunter Paisami and Jordan Pattaya. Now, with Jordan Pattaya, he has been flipped positions his entire career. I love, one of the things that I love is that Les Kiz has just said, he's a 15, he's staying in the 15 jersey, go make some plays in the 15 jersey. And he did. He has natural talent and he unleashed that talent. I was very critical of Pattaya last year, and I think deservedly so. He did not play very well in the Wallabies jersey at the outside center position. I think he his decision-making from that position was not great. Maybe fullback is his position. I have been calling for him to be a fullback, though. I said that's probably we his more natural <laughs> position. Yeah, and so I'm I'm very happy to see him performing well in that fullback position. Hunter Paisami looked so much better than I've seen him in the last couple of years. He was back to that heat-seeking missile form that we grew to love in, in, in you know a couple of years back. Uh, just absolutely transformed from... Uh, 
I get, yeah, last year was just sort of a very down year for him. I don't know why, but he, whatever Liz, Les Kiss has brought to the Reds, those two were the players that stood out the most for me. When I was watching that game, you know, anytime Izzy Parisi got the ball, Paisami was on him like a flash. Mm-hmm. And it's great because, you know, those guys are Wallaby's teammates as well. They know each other well. And it's not, it, it's one of those ones where it's like, when you're playing your mate and it's like, I'm just going to wallop you because I know I can rub it in in the group chat later type thing. Yeah. So it was it, it was great to see that the Reds just overall looked really good. They did look really, really good. The Brumbies, yeah, you know, there were, it is sort of a thing like yeah, they're playing the Rebels. <laughs> the Waratahs, I, th- I feel a little bit sorry for them because um, I think their week was pretty well disrupted when Lalakai Fikheti went to hospital with a neck injury. Thankfully cleared of all major issues. We'll be back this season. Uh, just some rehab. You know, hopefully he's back. And I think he's one of the Wallabies. Uh, sorry, the, well, the, he is one of the Wallabies, but also one of the Waratah's key pieces. And he's an um, excellent player when he's out there. I think Joey Walton actually did a, quite a good job standing in there, um, going from the 15 jersey to the 12. Again, a bit of an odd decision to have, you know, Darren Coleman's initial decision was to have uh, Walton start the 15 and Jorgensen off the bench or something. And it's just a very overall uh, strange look there. Um, I thought Angus Bell looked tremendous as always. Um, just immense carrier of the ball. I think this comes down to the a very similar thing as we, we've said about Australian versus New Zealand Super Rugby. I think Australia's got a very, has got the ability to put a competitive 23-man team on the field, but it's whether there's enough talent to spread out through all the Super Rugby teams to match the New Zealand Super Rugby teams. Um, on a consistent basis? Probably not. And this is, again, why we call for two conferences and to probably to split the Super Rugby and then to meet at the end of the season in a final series. You know, all sorts of options there. But coming into the Super Round, let's look at some of the matchups we've got. Crusaders versus Waratahs, right? Crusaders who may who mounted that epic comeback against the Chiefs and just fell short after the Chiefs looked like they were going to absolutely slaughter them. Uh, so the Crusaders probably going to take that one over the, the Waratahs. Uh, you got the Chiefs versus the Brumbies. That is going to be a great game. Arguably the two best teams in their respective conferences going at it. And then the Hurricanes versus Reds. You know, two of the teams that are looking to compete for that top spot in their respective countries. Let's see how they do up against each other. In all three cases, you'd say that the New Zealand team is favoured. I think if any of those Australian teams win, it's going to be an upset. And that is that is an issue. It shouldn't it shouldn't be like that. We should be hearkening, you know, ten years ago. The Waratahs won the Super Rugby competition, and they were the number one seed that year. How so how flabbergasted would we be if an Australian team was to be the number one seed this year? You know, I think it is just there, there's clearly been the degradation um, but, uh, of the Australian competition, and the New Zealand competition has maintained a standard of of excellence that the Australian system isn't matching, um, and you know. There's, there's a lot of chat about consolidating talent with the Rebels potentially folding. Look, it's really it's going to be really tough. This the, this next year and a bit for Super Rugby and navigating the difficulties is going to be really difficult. And how um, the Super Rugby competition and Australian rugby in particular navigate it is really going to is really going to make the difference in how we see this competition. But for the near future, I think it is pretty well. Uh, set that New Zealand teams, with the exception of maybe the Highlanders, hold an advantage over the Australian teams. Totally, yeah. I, I'm interested. Look, I've always been a fan of keeping five 
Australian teams. But if one was mm. to dissolve, let's say the Rebels do dissolve, and it's due to money woes and everything like that, that's I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing for Super Rugby or Australian yeah. Rugby. I look at it and I go, let's take the Super Rugby team in Melbourne, let's look at all the players and let's go, okay, Callaway now in the Waratahs. Well, we know he's already signing for the Waratahs, but in a Waratahs jersey. We go, Taliana Tupo back in a red jersey or whatever. Again, some of that talent spreads out to the force and all of a sudden you've got four pretty damn strong teams rather than five slightly spread out teams. You know what I mean? Like Rob Liotta goes and plays. And again, mm-hmm. you hate the idea of losing the Melbourne Rebels, but as long as there's a pathway, and I think there will That's be. That's the like, big thing. Yeah. You, could, you could still have a pathway and say, hey, from Melbourne you will set up like a – Melbourne Academy and players then get signed out to Super Rugby clubs around Australia. You'd sort out some way. There will still be talent coming out of there. We've talked about it. Rob Valentini, Rob Liotta, uh, both Melbourne-born or Melbourne-raised at least, and mm. Melbourneites and and want to be playing for Melbourne. But if there's no team there, they will, you know, look, as you can see with Valentini, go and kill it for the Brumbies. And I just go, I think there's... It wouldn't be the worst thing for Australian rugby, especially if we bring the Aguares back. Um, there's 12 teams there. Mm. You have four teams there. I, I think it could work. I think it, as as much as I don't want it, I think it just might ne- be the necessary step. Yeah. It's it's going to be tough. I think you need to, you need to maintain that um, pathways from Melbourne, um, and that's going to be really tough to do. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but this is why the Rugby Australia board and CEO are paid the big bucks to make these decisions. Um, and I think simply just folding a team is not the only answer. You have to have something that that promises for the future. You know, not just minimizes the losses for now, but needs, needs promise for the future. Yeah, I agree. I, there, there's got to be something in play, but yeah, I don't... I... Yeah, yeah, I agree. There needs to be something in play. I don't know what it is, and I'll be interesting to see what Australian rugby comes up with if in doubt, like if in, they do go. Look, there's too much money in doubt here. There's we can't do this anymore. Um, what the plan is, but yeah, I just think like you said, the no Australian team in my mind can go in as a favourite um, for a season, as in to finish top of the, the 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 table that season with the five current teams you have, like. You know, um, I think if you put out a near Wallabies team, that is the only way you'd get a favourite. If the Wallabies went out there and played, then you'd be like, okay, this probably team is probably favourites. Um, so yeah, look, lots lots going on in Super Rugby at the moment, um, and as you said, a big Super Round coming up um, with teams cross country playing. As we only saw what one cross country game really, um, but. Very exciting times ahead. We will keep you up to date with everything going on in the rugby world um, and we'll be back again next week to discuss all in Super Rugby and Six Nations Rugby. Thank you for joining us. If you did like this episode of That Rugby Podcast, make sure to like and subscribe. We will be back again next time. See ya. Peace.